Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace Theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, one of our listeners writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is, why should Christians study the minor prophets? For some reason, Christians are scared to study the minor prophets. Maybe it's the complex nature of the prophecies, or the chaotic violence, or perhaps the puzzling historical context. And whatever it is, we have a cultural tendency to camp in the cozy familiarity of the Psalms and the Gospels and leave the doom and gloom prophets to themselves. And yet, this is a tragic mistake for every Christian. These books, just like Leviticus, Revelation, and yes, Psalms, are God-breathed words, as 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us. This alone makes them worth reading and studying, but there's more. Unlike contemporary caricatures and stereotypes, these books practically explode with relevance to Christians today. While we do not have to understand them as first and foremost written for God's people in ancient Israel, these books books still bubble over with truth, correction, and meaning for God's people in our own day. The, you see, first thing is, is the, the minor prophets, they teach us about the justice of God. In the book of Amos, the Israelites were condemned for oppressing the weak through the merciless practice of debtor slavery. This was a heinous irony for a people redeemed from the bonds of enslavement themselves. God warns his people of punishment for their sin and demands they turn to justice. In Amos 6, these famous words are declared, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness from an ever-flowing stream. God is crystal clear in Amos. He hates apathy and pride in the face of suffering and injustice. The minor prophets are replete with calls to love our neighbors, to care for the poor, to perfect the outcasts, to love the orphans, to speak out against injustice and do what is right. These are lessons we desperately need in our own day and time. The minor prophets offer us insight into how we should treat people who are different than us, poorer than us, richer than us, healthier than us, sicker than us, us, a different skin color than us, and the paramount important of justice. And we wonder how to think about adoption, abortion, the refugee crisis, homelessness, human trafficking, racism, persecution, oppression. The prophets sing of God's love for justice, and they counsel us to do the same. The minor prophets, they teach us about joy. Zephaniah 3 is one of the happiest chapters in the whole Bible. After two and a half chapters of judgment and punishment, the shackles of sin are suddenly broken, and joy breaks out in the prophecy. Zephaniah begins a happy, hopeful description of the restoration of the people of God in Zephaniah 3, 14-15, which says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away all of your enemies. The King of Israel is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. You see, the prophets teach us that humanity was made for joy, created with the capacity for all satisfying happiness, and they teach us where to find that, to rejoice in the Lord. Find delight in true worship in the Lord and look forward to the unbreakable, everlasting joy that is coming. The minor prophets, they teach us about God's sovereignty. It's woven like a golden thread throughout the whole Bible, but it blazes fiercely bright in the minor prophets, the sovereignty of God. The Lord destroys and the Lord builds up. The Lord judges and the Lord shows mercy. The Lord takes away and the Lord gives. The whole world is absolutely in the hands of God. It was true in ancient Israel, just as it's true today. God is sovereignly over the poles 
and over the politics. He's sovereign over hurricanes and tornadoes. He's sovereign over terrorism and war and, and sickness and death and life and everything in between. And our responsibility is to trust the Lord. Have faith in the Lord. Believe the Lord. Seek the Lord. Amos 5, 6 says this, Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. You see, the minor prophets, they teach us about hope. Evil will not win the day. A time is coming where fears, frustration, trials, shame, and suffering will be washed away forever. A time is coming when sin will be no more. We will live in constant joy, constant worship, constant peace, and that's where we need to place our trust. Not in ourselves, not in our finances, not in our marriage, not in our government, not in our children, not in our jobs, not in our vacation, not in our successes, but in God's glorious restoration. Micah 7, 18-19 says this, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of your sins in the depths of the sea. Here's another thing that the minor prophets teach us. The, the minor prophets are filled with rich and redemptive themes that should convict, acquit, and encourage Christians today. But that's not what they're ultimately about. And that's not why you should read and study them. Ultimately, the minor prophets are all about Jesus. Jesus, the only human God-man who is perfectly just and true, full of compassion and mercy, and yet also full of indignation at evil. Jesus, the source of lasting joy, the fount and expression of joy, the one who found peace and happiness in the will of the Father. Jesus, the one who is totally sovereign, who is reigning and ruling for his glory. Jesus, the one who is bringing hope and restoration, the one whose death and resurrection secured life, the one whose return will mark the coming of his unending kingdom. Jesus is the reason we need the minor prophets today. Now, here's some interesting facts if you uh, are, are into that kind of thing about, you know, you, you do Bible trivia or something like that. Here's some Bible trivia for you. First, minor means short, not unimportant. In ancient days, the books of the Bible were copied onto scrolls. The longer prophetic books required their own scrolls, but the 12 shorter prophetic books fit together on a single scroll. And so the major, the long prophets were grouped together first and, and the minor short prophets followed them. Second fact for you, the minor prophets are also called the book of 12. 12 writers wrote the books and the minor prophets, the same number as there were tribes of Israel and apostles of Jesus. Four writers wrote the five books and the major prophets, the same number of writers who wrote the gospel. Third, a prophet prophecies prophecy. Prophecy is a verb meaning to communicate a message from God. Prophecy is also a noun referring to a divine message. Four, the minor prophets are clustered around three events. The minor prophets are basically chronological except for Joel and Obadiah, although some scholars think they are too. Here's the background to them that every Christian needs to know. The Old Testament is a story of God calling the Israelites to be his people so they could show all the nations how to come to the Lord. And when Moses rescued the Israelites from Egyptian enslavement and brought them to the promised land, he warned them that if they ever forsook God, God would drive them out of the land into exile. The kingdom was at its greatest under the reigns of David and his son Solomon. But after Solomon died, the United Kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Israel abandoned God right away, descending into violence and injustice, oppression of the poor, sexual promiscuity, idolatry, and child sacrifice. Horrific, but true. Judah had times of faithfulness, but eventually turned to the same corruption. And when the nation abandoned the Lord, God sent prophets to warn people to return to him, lest he drive them out of the land. And when they refused to repent, the prophecies changed to judgments. Now it's too late, and exile is coming. And yet the prophets promised restoration. Chronologically, the minor prophets come after the reforms of Elijah and Elisha, which ended about 800 BC. They're clustered around three time periods. The first is time leading up to and surrounding Israel's exile in 722 BC. So the first six books, except perhaps Joel and Obadiah. Second, the time leading up to 
Ju- Judah's exile in 586 BC, books 7 to 9. Third, the time after Judah's restoration, 538 BC, until the end of Ezra's and Nehemiah's reform in 430 BC. These are the last three books. The fifth fact for you is the minor prophets called Israel and Judah by many names. Most of the prophecies in the minor prophets are poems that use figures of speech. Here are names the minor prophet uses for Israel and Judah. Names that refer to Israel, Samaria, Ka- Samaria, capital, Ephraim, major tribe, Bethel, temple site, Jacob, Joseph, prominent people, house of Jeroboam, Omri, Ahab, Yehu, prominent kings, names that refer to Judah, Jerusalem, capital, Judah, major tribe, Zion, temple site, house of David, prominent king. After the northern tribe fell in 722 BC, the prophets sometimes used the names Israel and Jacob to refer to both kingdoms. After Judah fell, uh, neither kingdom existed, only provinces under various foreign emperors, and the names Israel and Jacob often refer all to Jews. Six, here's some interesting facts about the minor prophets. Every Christian should know at least one interesting fact about the minor prophets. Here are 12 to choose from. In Hosea, God commands the prophet to marry a prostitute and likens their relationship to his relationship with Israel. Joel's, proph- Joel's prophecy about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Joel 2, 28-32 was fulfilled on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on believers in Acts 2, 17-21. Martin Luther King Jr. quoted Amos 5:24 in his I Have a Dream speech. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Obadiah is the shortest Old Testament book at 292 Hebrew words. Jesus likens his temporary barrel in the earth to Jonah's temporary barrel in the belly of a fish in Matthew 12:40. Bonus fact, the huge fish that swallowed Jonah is never identified as a whale. The U.S. Library of Congress uses Micah 6.8 over its religion alcove uh, when it says this, What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? In Jonah's day, the Ninevites, Assyrian, who were Assyrians, repent. But Nahum, by Nahum's time, they've returned to the cruelty and so God tells them through Nahum that their destruction is certain and imminent. Meaning near. Habak asks why God allows evil and God tells him punishment is on the way. Habak initially protests the means but then understands God's plan to eradicate evil and responds by rejoicing in the Lord. Zephaniah was probably written by a black Jew. His dad's name is Cushy, suggesting his mom was from Cush, which is located in modern-day Sudan. Haggai encouraged rebuilding the temple, which ushered in the time period known as the Second Temple Judaism. The era ended when Rome destroyed the Second Temple in 70 AD. The gospel accounts of Jesus' suffering and death quote Zechariah six times. That's only second to the psalm. Jerusalem's king riding on a donkey, 30 pieces of silver, looking at him whom they pierced, strike the shepherd and sheep scatter. Malachi reads like a courtroom trial about broken contracts. The people restored to the land after exile are still breaking their contracts with God and shouldn't expect God's blessing till they hold up their part of the agreement. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.